You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Our theme this Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, is peace, particularly peace in the shape of comfort for the oppressed and for the poor. Also, comfort for the powerful, for the wealthy, for the lonely. So let's read together the passage that we're reflecting on. It's a passage from Ecclesiastes. We've been studying different passages from this ancient wisdom book, uh, passages that kind of strip away some of the trappings that, that cling so closely to Christmas to remind us of, of the center of Christmas, the peace of the incarnation, the comfort of the incarnation. So we're going to read Ecclesiastes 4. It's on page 538 of these black uh, pew Bibles that are in the... Uh, racks in front of you. Um, If you don't mind getting one of those or opening your own Bible to Ecclesiastes 4, page 538, we'll read together verses 1 through 12. 1 through 12. So let's stand and and read together. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Um, And should you affirm it, uh, you may do so by saying, thanks be to God. So Ecclesiastes 4, verses 1 through 12. Let's read together. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are practiced under the sun. Look, the tears of the oppressed, with no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, with no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead, who have already died, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from one person's envy of another. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. Fools fold their hands and consume their own flesh. Better is a handful with quiet Then two handfuls with toil and a chasing after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, the case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers. Yet there is no end to all their toil and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom am I toiling? They ask and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you give us the gift of your Holy Spirit to illuminate this passage, my words, our hearts, and show us the way that you would have us walk in worship of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So this is a crazy passage. Eight verses of oppression, the vanity of wealth, loneliness, then four verses you usually hear read at a wedding. So how do these verses relate to each other? 
And more specifically, what do they have to do with Christmas? Well, let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story that kind of personifies these verses a bit. And what I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that the first eight verses in this passage, four, one through eight, let's call them your social justice uncle. And the last verses, verses nine through 12, let's call these last four verses your idealistic aunt. And I want you to imagine Christmas dinner. Uh, imagine that you've brought your roommate to join the family at Christmas for the first time. Your weird aunt and uncle are there. And he considers himself a realist. She's kind of hard to pin down. She, she just comes up with these lovely, somewhat obscure statements right when your uncle has everyone completely uncomfortable. And this goes on all day at Christmas dinner. Imagine that uh, it starts when your mom puts out some, some things, you know, for everyone to nibble on, and there's this shrimp cocktail ring there, right? Because, you know, who doesn't like a lot of shrimp? Um, but your uncle begins talking about the Seattle Times article that appeared on the front page this last week. You see that? Uh, with the headline, Supermarkets in U.S. Sell Shrimp Peeled by Slaves. And he starts talking about the suppression of slave labor that is, is happening in Thailand, um, where wealthy Western preferences for convenience of not having to um, prepare our own shrimp, just dump it frozen out of the bag, have um, resulted in this human rights violation in Thailand of such a verifiable scale that U.S. government representatives are calling on consumers to boycott shrimp from Thailand. And so your uncle just wonders right out loud, I mean, where's this shrimp from? <laughs> and no one knows what to say. Your mom has this slightly horrified look on her face because she clearly does not read the Seattle Times and has no idea whether or not her seafood was prepared using slave labor for Christmas. <laughs> and your aunt just sits there, you know, kind of calmly and serenely munching on a carrot stick instead of eating shrimp. And it doesn't stop there. Your uncle then catches sight of all these gifts that are, that are just you know, spilling out from under the tree. And he begins talking about this over-commercialization of Christmas, um, the vanity and, and just the waste of it all. I mean, how much excess energy and money goes into this one month and for what, he says? Weight gain and credit card debt and working overtime 11 months out of the year so that the Christmas bonus can pay for all this meaningless uproar next year and all this stuff that people are just going to return anyway, let's be honest. And there's uncomfortable silences again. Your dad looks like he's about to bite his tongue in two. Uh, and, 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 and your aunt just sits there with this like serene look on her face, apparently untroubled by this tirade, which she hears all the time. And the dinner prayer, though, the dinner prayer was the worst. Because your mom has, in her prayer, you know, just a lovely prayer, giving thanks for family, for friends, for the blessing and the gift of a chance to gather, to worship, to celebrate. And I mean, she's like mid-sentence and your uncle interjects, your uncle interrupts her and prays that we not forget the lonely who were not invited to dinner. Uh, those with no family, those with no friends, those, those who have nowhere to go for a warm meal in a festively decorated home, to which your mom just very quickly says, amen. And you're thinking your uncle's going to end up one of those lonely and uninvited people next year. <laughs> and the next thing you know, your aunt finally speaks. Like while she's reaching for the roast potatoes, she just says out of nowhere, two are better than one, aren't they? Like this was the topic. 
because they have a good reward for their toil. And she's passing you the potatoes, and she says, for if they fall, one will lift them up, but boy, it's a bummer for anyone who's alone and falls and doesn't have anyone to help them. And, and now she's dishing up Brussels sprouts. And, and really, she keeps going. If two lie down together, they stay warm. But, but how can one person keep warm alone? And she hands you the Brussels sprouts and goes for a roll. And she hasn't stopped. You know, one might prevail against uh, another, but two will withstand one. And now she's buttering her roll. And she turns and she looks at you and, and your roommate. And then she says, I mean, very kindly, but kind of obscurely, a threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. And she's done. <laughs> and then everyone just starts talking about the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> And as you're driving home, your roommate looks at you and, and says, is your family always this weird? <laughs> so what was so uncomfortable about your uncle at Christmas? And, and why did your aunt's like random reflection somehow help to restore enough harmony that the, the evening could just continue? There's a lot in this passage, but one insight it seems to me that we find is in the repeated uh, need that we see in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 4. Did you catch? There's one word that's repeated twice in there, and it's the word comfort. The, uh, the voice of the teacher, the voice of your uncle, notices the comfort is lacking for both the oppressed and the powerful. And then doesn't it seem like the passage moves into the, the reasons that the powerful are without comfort, this drive to look for a comfort that cannot be had. I mean, he, he reflects that even, even the dead, even those not born the, the, are, are better off because they, they, they don't have to live with this meaningless wastefulness of desiring a comfort that can't be had. And that unlike the lazy who abdicate either comfort or work or the content, the powerful toil and work driven by envy by the desire to stay ahead, to get ahead. But this is vanity, he says. Wealth is a meaningless source of comfort. And at its worst, he goes on, this drive results in isolation and loneliness. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge in the famous Dickens story of A Christmas Carol, who, as we learn the story of his life, has uh, increasingly become isolated because he places every meaningful relationship in his life second to this drive for wealth, for comfort, in wealth. But in the end, no one is comforted. Either the oppressed, who are without anyone to hear their tears, that is, without a comforter, or the powerful, who pursue the comfort of wealth and find none. See, maybe part of the reason the uncle is so uncomfortable is because if all of our energy all year is exhausted in pursuing our own comfort, believing this idea that we can create our own comfort materially through work and material wealth without hearing at all the cries of the oppressed. And then if our Christmas celebrations reflect and participate in this same excess, this same comfort lie with disregard for the poor or the lonely, then the uncle from Ecclesiastes is definitely an uninvited guest at the table, an uninvited Grinch at the feast. Now this passage that began with a loss of comfort for all ends with this remarkable comfort of friendship in verses 9 through 12. It's like bookends. Here's the uncle, here's the aunt. 
See, in my little story, these verses are the aunt's way of answering the uncle's comments about economic oppression and loneliness with good news. Instead of crying out with no one to pay attention, the oppressed, in verses 9 through 12, have a friend whose presence provides good reward, help, survival, protection. It's just the opposite in everything in verses 1 through 8. And in fact, the powerful have a friend whose presence provide a good reward, help, survival, and protection. See, comfort is a friend who is alongside. This is the good news in Ecclesiastes. It's the good news of the incarnation hidden in the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. That comfort is not found in toiling for wealth. That will, in fact, lead to greater loneliness. Comfort for both the oppressed and the powerful is found in relationship. Comfort is present in friendship. In the news this week, uh, did any of you see the news that Mother Teresa will be canonized as a saint in 2016? Our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic Church, many of them uh, have reminded us of the importance of, of comfort for the poor and the oppressed, and Mother Teresa, uh, chief among them in our, in our lifetime and hers. Uh, and I was reminded, I went back to find a quote I thought I remembered. Um, and she'd said in one interview, and I'll quote, the poverty in the West, she said, is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. <laughs> material poverty you can always satisfy with material, she wrote elsewhere. But the unwanted, the unloved, the uncared, the forgotten, the lonely, this is a much greater poverty. End of quote. See, here in Ecclesiastes 4 is hidden the good news of incarnation. God with us, arriving to comfort the oppression of the poor and to comfort the vanity and exhaustion of wealth and power. The friendship of God become human to work with us, to, to lift us up, to comfort, to rescue us, to defend us, knowing that we're not alone. And this, this can happen in very mundane, everyday ways that bring it home. Yesterday, I was taking a walk in um, the Ravenna Ravine. It's up here, I don't know, about 10 blocks north or so. And in the ravine, when you're walking along, you're, there's a lower path, and I was just about to take a right on this bridge that then goes to an upper path. And some black dog was running past me, which isn't weird, because dogs are off-leash in the ravine all the time. It's kind of a happy place. And um, so this dog goes by, and not five seconds later, I hear a voice, someone just distraught on this upper path. And I look up, there's like a 10 or 11-year-old girl, and she's almost hyperventilating. She's crying so bad, but she's trying to call her dog. She's clearly lost her dog. Um, and so I call up to her and I go, oh, did you lose a dog? I just, did you lose a black dog? And, and she says, yes. And she's crying. Oh, did you lose a black lab? And then I could see why she got confused because it was actually a border collie I discovered later, but I hadn't been paying attention. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that kind of gave her pause, but she could barely talk. I said, well, tell me your dog's name. And I still don't know if it was Blackie or Lucky because I couldn't understand her. So I just called both. And, um... And I told her, come down here. Come with me. We'll find your dog. I promise your dog is down here. And so she came down. She can't even call out. I'm calling out for the dog. And suddenly she says, there he is. And her dog comes running up. Good border collies. They love to obey. They comes running up the path. And she's so happy. It's like, boom. And she's chatting away. And he just got lost because he saw some of his doggy friends. And I'm saying, you know, put the leash on him. Put the... 
click, click, put it, get them in tow. Um, and she's just so happy. And I'm like, it's not, it's not like it was a Christmas miracle. Uh, the dog was right there. Um, but she was so thrilled. And, and so I said, okay, you have a good Christmas. And I walked across the path. I'm going, I get like a hundred yards away and I hear her calling after me. Thank you. Thank you. And she's waving. And I thought, isn't that just what it is? Where we needed to find the dog. But even more than that, she needed someone to help her. She needed to know she was not alone in the ravine. That someone cared about her distress. Someone cared about her dog. Someone was going to do this with her. That's, that's what it is. And that's the incarnation. We need to know we are not alone in the ravine. That someone cares about our distress. That someone knows what is lost. That someone is there to help us. This is what God does in Jesus Christ at Christmas that is, that is the miracle that our, that our feasts celebrate. This is the wonder and the mystery of the incarnation. It's God with us. But there's more. More to the gospel than, than the first message of Ecclesiastes. There is God with us, vulnerable and poor. See, the, the, the wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes could only see so far. And with amazing uh, revelation could talk about, in these passages, the wisdom of incarnation, of God with us, of friendship and comfort. But the wisdom writer could not see that the way that God would bring this comfort to God's people would to be to become God with us, vulnerable and poor. Comfort requires more than just spiritual companionship. The story of God's incarnation, vulnerable and poor, tells us that spiritual companionship becomes tangible on earth when the powerful with their wealth follow the way of Jesus, who left the power and sufficiency of heaven to be born vulnerable and dependent on earth. And this will be a sign unto you of peace on earth, the angel said, of comfort for all people. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing and lying in a manger. You will find God with us, vulnerable, dependent, and poor. See, the good news of Ecclesiastes is that God has acted to comfort all people, the oppressed and the powerful. And the good news of the gospel is that God's peace becomes tangible for all people when the powerful and the self-sufficient comfort the cries of the oppressed and the poor. That's how this economy works. You remember Luke's gospel at Christmas, right? You remember Mary's song that sings the mystery of this incarnation. You can find this in Luke uh, chapter 1. That God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. You remember Mary's experience of the oppression of Rome that sends a young pregnant girl far from her home to give birth isolated. You remember the comfort of God sending shepherds to witness. You remember the comfort from Mary in this. She treasured, she pondered their presence in her heart. And we're told the stories. And you remember Jesus beginning his public ministry in the synagogue when he's grown, reading the words of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah 61. It's in Luke 4. Jesus opened the scroll of Isaiah and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's good news for the poor, and it's good news for the powerful who, have, who are isolated in their wealth. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, who was hiding up in a tree, who in, in seeking wealth had isolated himself. He was a crooked man from everybody around him, and Jesus looked for him. Jesus called Zacchaeus down. Jesus went to Zacchaeus' home and ate with him. And you remember what happened, don't you, at that dinner, where after that time with Jesus, Zacchaeus stands up and he says to Jesus, Look, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is incarnation. This is the good news of incarnation. This isn't just a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that's so important that becomes a tangible, material thing in our life and in our time. Comfort for the oppressed that God has heard their secret cries and also comfort for the exhausted, powerfully wealthy, isolated by their actions. This was driven home for me a little over a year ago. I was at an um, auction fundraiser for Union Gospel Mission here in Seattle. And there was a gentleman there who was sharing. And his name is Robert uh, Herchevik. Have any of you heard of Robert Herchevik? I had never heard of him. Shark Tank? Have you heard of Shark Tank? He's on Shark Tank. He's the Canadian. Uh, which is why you haven't heard of him. Um, <laughs> but he's like the Bill Gates of Canada. He's incredibly wealthy, this kind of tech entrepreneur. And um, he's at this fundraiser. And I'm trying to figure out why. And it turns out that he had hit an incredibly dark place in his life. He'd hit a place that left him profoundly isolated, separated from his, his wife, separated from his children, not able to see his children, devastated. And he it was in a place very similar to one that Annie described her friend being in. And he phoned a friend in the middle of the night. He said, I've got to do something, or, or it's, this is a dark place. Um, I think he wanted to like go solve AIDS in Africa or something. I and mean, he's a big thinker, right? And his friend was a little more practical and said, listen, I know a guy called Jeff Lilly, who is in charge of Union Gospel Mission in Seattle. Not that many people, not as many people will know you there as here in Canada. Why don't you go spend some time there? So Robert Herchevik shows up, and um, long story short, he found himself in Seattle with ideas about solving world hunger, but instead he found himself rescued by relationships with men who knew nothing about his wealth and success, but they knew about poverty and desperation. And they befriended Robert as he joined them in their search and rescue vans. These are the vans that drive to the darkest places in King County and they hand out supplies. And you can look up on, on Robert Herchevik's website and you'll find this letter for Union Gospel Mission. This is what he writes. On behalf of myself and my team at Herchevik Group, I would like to thank everyone associated with Seattle's Union Gospel Mission for their ongoing support. As many of you know, I spent two weeks with Seattle's Union Gospel Mission at their men's shelter and continue to donate my time in support of the community and the search and rescue efforts. I truly believe that the mission saved my life. I came to Seattle's Union Gospel Mission at a very dark period in my personal journey, and I was touched by the volunteers, the staff, and the gentlemen at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission to celebrate with all of the graduates of the mission and to thank everyone who has been such an important part of my journey. I'm donating a brand new van to the search and rescue team 
It's my hope that this fourth van will help the mission touch even more lives in King County. That's the good news of the incarnation. For those of us powerful and wealthy who don't even realize we need saving. That the oppressed and the powerful, all of humanity that is seeking comfort, have received comfort in Jesus. And Jesus has hidden himself among the poor and the oppressed so that those of us with power and wealth can go find him, can seek him, can be comforted. It's a mutual comfort. Herchevec experienced the reality that is described by Oscar Romero, who is the martyred Roman Catholic bishop. Romero writes, No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need, even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God. Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. So in four or five days, we are celebrating this good news of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. This miracle and wonder. And, and, and the first thing we are celebrating is this comfort, peace that happens in relationship. That for all who are oppressed and weighed down, losing hope, exhausted with toil or lonely or isolated, that anyone, all of the, anyone who hears this news that a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord, the Comforter, God with us. And the second celebration this week is that the comfort of God's salvation becomes tangible for all people in our world when it becomes incarnate. When the powerful and the sufficient follow in the way of Jesus' incarnation. When we stop seeking our own comfort and instead use our comfort to seek Jesus in the poor and the oppressed. When we see these families who are going down to Mexico together with their children, this is the good news they are physically, tangibly sharing with their children. You will find Jesus here. The vulnerable in need of a friend. It's like Annie, who shared uh, earlier in her story of hope, that year that she came to faith in the Jesus whom she met in her friend's brokenness and pain. That year that we both were saved. So this week, gather at the feast and celebrate good news of Christmas that Jesus has been born, Emmanuel, God with us. Welcome your uncle and your aunt. <laughs> but do not celebrate Christmas in the sheltered isolation of one day of the year. To find the Christ whose birth we sing about, we will have to leave the comfort of our homes to venture into the stables and the places of the poor. To discover together we are not alone in the ravine. A Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign unto you. You will find him hungry and in need of food. You will find him thirsty and in need of something to drink. A stranger in need of refuge and naked in need of clothing, sick in need of care, in prison longing for visitors. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio 
Email audio at upc.org or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.